0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast for episode 203, Useful Occupations and Deceptions. I'm Ronald D. Moore, executive producer and developer of the Outlander uh, television series, and I'm joined today by Ann Kinney, my fellow executive producer and the writer of this episode. Hello, Ann.
1: Hello, Ron. How are you? Good. All right, well,
0: this is an interesting show. This one went through a lot of changes. (laughs) There's something about the third episode of the season that's that sort of compels us to work it over and over again in multiple ways. Yes,
1: and I wrote the third episode of the first season <laughs> Yes, this too. is true. You did
0: do that. <laughs> oh, well, the first thing you might notice is that we've changed the main title here quite a bit. Uh, we decided to incorporate a lot more sort of uh, pieces of French imagery into the main title and then transition into a French-language version of the, of the song. I just thought this was an interesting idea to sort of acknowledge that, you know, the series was changing and evolving and move the audience more clearly into the French part of the story and sort of drop some of the Scottish-only imagery that uh, defined the main title since Season 1. But rest assured, some of the Scots imagery will return and there will be more things as the title evolves over the course of Season 2. Uh, I believe the main title card was shot by Matt, Mm -hmm. I think Matt did this.
1: We spend a lot of time mulling over and talking about what those main title cards are going to be. They take up a fair amount of uh, time.
0: Yes, much to the chagrin of the entire production (laughs) team. It's like, oh my god, then we still have to do these fucking main title
1: cards?
0: (laughs) And honestly, uh, yeah, they're hard for me to think of
1: too, so I'm always happy when somebody else comes up with a good idea.
0: Now this opening, as I recall, this is one of the things that kind of stayed throughout all the different drafts, right? Didn't we always sort of have this idea of Jamie coming home, and then this was to sort of establish that, oh, this is his new life with with Prince Charles.
1: And and to kind of, in this episode, as the title sort of tells us, to also establish that while Claire is very much behind this um, plan that they have, he's really in the position to be much more the actor in this plan and she has to play a little bit more of a backseat role which is hard for Claire because that's not really what she does.
0: Yeah this was it was sort of picking up on a thematic uh, uh, aspect of the book was that when Claire in these many months that Claire is in Paris she was kind of bored and yeah. she was at loose ends because Jamie in the book version of events is told from Claire's point of view and so Jamie just keeps leaving and having these meetings off camera, you know, with with Prince Charles and working at the wine, uh, the wine business, and then coming back, and Claire was left to her own devices to a large extent, and trying to sort of uh, become you know, part of the social fabric of, of Paris of the day, but also finding a lot, a lot less satisfaction in that role.
1: And I think one of the things that was tricky for us when we were trying to do this is that we wanted to to explore what you just described without her seeming. We were we kept struggling between well, but she, we don't want her to be like. I'm bored when he's so involved in this right. big heavy thing. So we didn't, you know, it was, it was really trying to find our way through that to make it, you sympathetic to her, um, yeah, without her seeming like she was sort of complaining somehow.
0: Yeah.
1: At some point, and I think it's in this scene, he talks about a mad gallop here and a mad gallop here. And, and just watching it and also remembering writing it wow, there so much information that we're communicating in these scenes that it really felt like a mad gallop as you're writing it like ah
0: this was shot as part of the super block of three at the beginning right so this is in that still that massive shoot that we were doing to start the season with
1: I was not there for the um, shooting of this one right And these costumes are just, oh my God, all the way through this, one dress after another, she is, looks so amazing. And so does he. I miss his kilts, honestly. Yep. But um, he looked pretty darn good.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it is a bit of a fashion show, you know. Uh. And, like one thing after another, and a lady of her station at this point would have had you know, a fairly wide wardrobe.
1: Yeah, and the art direction, the apartment is so beautiful. It was fun to go when I went, and this was still up, this set, and it is—it's spectacular. Yeah, it was a great, great set. This is one of those things. Sony is one of those things that, you know, sometimes we take things from different books, and you'll—you'll you'll find them. I think sometimes people go, oh, I miss this or I miss that, and I would say to them, well. Don't give up hope because, man, things we pull things from all over the place. Because now, Sonny has made an appearance here that I'm not sure he was actually in this. I don't think. I th- no, I, I think, he think he originally t- in the books he tells her about Sonny back at Lollybrock in the first book. Yeah. Um. So we brought him back here.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think we were just looking for so- I think we were looking for something for s- for Fergus to steal. Yes, right. that's how right. it came up, we were saying right. wouldn't it be good if he stole something from Jamie too what could he steal from Jamie right. oh somebody said Sonny the
1: snake yeah.
0: yeah. and I think somebody said it as a joke and we all yeah. kind of went no actually it's making make <laughs> Sonny the snake
1: I love this scene and this is one of those scenes that for me as a writer is really fun because we took the discussion between Mary and um, Claire about what French men do in bed is in the book but in the book it's just the two of them so it was fun to include Louise, who's sort of um, acting out the stuff that is in Claire's head. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? We get to kind of see it dramatized. Plus, we had a piece of information at the end of this that we needed to get across. So it's, it's that fun kind of puzzly thing, you know, where it's very satisfying, yeah. at least for me and I think probably for you too as a writer, To I've got these elements that need to happen in this scene, and how can I do it in the most elegant way? And I've, I was happy with how this turned out.
0: I love Mary. She's tiny. The yeah. actress is tiny. Rosie is she is Rosie. really tiny.
1: We always joke that we're just gonna put her in our pocket. She's tiny. And um, uh, Claire Sermon who plays Louise is also terrific. I really love Yeah, She's love her.
0: wonderful. I'd be to have a
1: see this is where we had to we wanted to okay we want to make the connection for Claire that she remembers where Mary's from and so we able. that's how we got there was like right. oh I'm from this place and that makes Claire remember this and yeah I, I thought that I was happy how that all worked out
0: yeah and I remember it's going through many iterations of oh yeah it, what was it that triggers Claire to remember and how do we get to that place and uh, it was just a lot of conversation yep.
1: And at one point, I think she saw this, um, it was in Master Raymond's shop, he had a Bible yeah, that he had Yeah, that's right. It was in Master Raymond's. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I like is I really like that we, um, how we've kind of uh, continuously fleshed out the relationship between Claire and Frank and you really see that that was, a, you know, they loved each other. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes when you have romantic triangles in stories and movies, one of the characters is kind of a paper tiger, you know, where mm-hmm. you you think, "Oh well, he's never going to yeah, be the, the like winner." that's not
0: a legitimate choice. Yeah,
1: and it diminishes the character, I think, and makes the challenge less. So I'm, I'm happy that we've been able to do that.
0: Yeah, it feels like a real triangle.
1: This also was a sequence the editing, and I think you were you must have constructed this too. This was a giant voiceover speech where she's doing all this explaino. Right. And it was just, when I wrote it, it was, she was in the carriage and she's just you're hearing the voiceover. And when I saw this cut, I was like, oh my god, that's great because you're giving us all these visual cues to help us track this story. Yeah, so
0: it was tough to track it otherwise because it was oh. just so much information. And again, it's voiceovers. You're not even watching her talk yep. and tracking all the names and the people and trying to keep it clear in your head.
1: No, that was, that was a really great uh, thing to do.
0: He's great. Yes. I love this line coming yeah. up where he says, yeah. the search for the little snake <laughs> continues. <laughs> where did the idea of Merton and Suzette come from? That was some early on, wasn't well, it? Well,
1: you know, I was thinking about that. One thing that we did talk about at one point was that Murtaugh would have sort of an unrequited um, love for Mary. Oh,
0: that's right. We Mary were going to have him. Yeah, that's right. He was going to have a thing for Mary. Yeah,
1: which I loved. It's only, yeah, you know, too. kind of the, uh, yeah, that kind of Jane Eyre, you know, kind of the, the guy, the gruff guy, yeah, longing yeah, yeah. for the sweet girl. And we actually, we had that carded out and yeah. all of that. I, ha- I do not remember why, probably real estate as much as anything. And then we came up with Suzette. Um, And again, this for me is one of those scenes where the purpose of this scene in terms of the plot was that Claire has to tell Murtaugh, Blackjack's alive, I haven't told Jamie, and he tells her it's okay. And then we embellished it all by giving him Suzette and having the discussion Mm -hmm. going toward, um, you know, do you disapprove? And then in the next scene, we need her to get to Master Raymond, so we have her say, I'll go get some birth control for Suzette. You know what I mean? And I love that kind of stuff where you kind of, because you do have to have the connections. And again, Duncan is wonderful. He's fabulous.
0: I know, and they had such good chemistry in all those scenes. I was happy to, it was like, yeah, let's keep playing. Let's play some more Murtaugh and Claire stuff. Mm
1: -hmm. And actually, it's funny, I was thinking about this, because going down the road in a later episode, there is a sort of like almost homage to that notion of Murtaugh and Mary. Um... I don't want to blow it. Oh, right, I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. Which I wrote, right, yeah. and I don't think I even thought about it, but in retrospect, I go, oh, that must have still been kicking around yeah, in my I head. I bet you're right.
0: This is one of those annoying things that happens sometimes in production. It's annoying to the writers. You know, when there was a pass we worked on on this scene where I specifically said, Claire and Murtaugh go out onto the balcony to have right, this conversation right. because Gary Steele, our production designer, had built this balcony off of this main room where you could stand out on the courtyard. It was a practical balcony, and it was like kind of cool, and no one had used it. And I said, let's get out. Let's use this fucking balcony. Right. And of course, then they, the director just kept it all in the room. <laughs> and so, and then as a result, the balcony is never used in the entire show. That's hilarious. We built this stupid thing, and it's really cool. And it was out on the courtyard. And I was like, this is the chance. We're going to use it. Right. And of course, they, eh, let's keep them inside.
1: It's, a, it's honestly amazing how often that happens when you, you have a set and you think, oh, we need this and this and this, and we're going to go over here, and yeah. then you don't ever use it. I know.
0: You build all these things into the sets, yep. and then the next thing you know, you just never even shoot that side. I feel like we shot, except for the balcony, we probably shot everything of this apartment, because the main staircase is used, the courtyard, the hallway to the, to the main staircase. There's this room, the parlor. The bedroom and the dining room are the same part of the set that are just redressed to be the the dining room or the the dining room or the bedroom. Sorry, and then uh, there's like a hallway that goes all the way around all the sets.
1: Right, and later in this you'll see if we, that we use the hallway in a really interesting way, where Claire's in the room and Jamie's in the hallway, and we're going through the doorways, which yeah. is cool. Yeah. to remember, because I know we talked a lot about what was Murtaugh's reaction going to be when she tells him that Blackjack's alive and should she or shouldn't she tell Jamie Uh, uh, because I think again, this is another one that I don't don't think this is in the book, I mean Blackjack being alive is in the book but no, you know what, in the book she and Jamie see, don't they see him at the same time or they see Alex at the same time, who in the book looks exactly like Blackjack.
0: Yeah, they both encounter Alex at Versailles and Claire faints because she thinks it's Blackjack because he looks so much like him but in the show, it was just like, you couldn't go to that card again. You couldn't have Tobias play three roles. That was just, that was pushing it.
1: No, which is one of the interesting things, again, in the adaptation <coughs> process. This room is fantastic.
0: This room is in Prague. This was a, a, li- a real library in pr- Prague. There's like two main rooms to it. There's another room next to this one that's also spectacular. But this, this was an unbelievable location.
1: Again, this is another one of those scenes that we had a lot of information we had to get across. So how do you do it in an interesting way? And also, uh, I don't play chess. So for me, it's sort of like, uh, if you've ever written on like a medical show or something, mm. where the part where they're talking about the medical, you just write, tech, 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 yeah, tech, tech. tech. <laughs> and somebody else comes along. And this one, I, you came along and came up with the, what <laughs> the is it, the Spanish, game the Spanish game or something. Which, uh, yeah, I think I know like things like, check, checkmate.
0: <laughs> Star Trek, I used to just literally, yeah, I would do the same thing. He'd write, Tech, Mr. LaForge, Tech the Tech of the main engine. But Captain, if we Tech the Tech, the Tech will overload. And then Data would say, But Captain, there is a theory. If you Tech the Tech, it will actually, and and you're just like, It's a page of Tech.
1: Well, because usually also when you use your technical advisors, like going forward when we get into the um, scene with uh, Master Raymond and she's asking them about all the herbs and what they do, you often go to your technical advisor and say, this is what I need to have happen in this scene. Yeah, They need to discuss this, it needs to do that, so I need you to help me figure out what those things are. And, you know, you're always lucky when you get somebody who can really roll with it.
0: Yeah, because a lot of it is just rhythm. Okay. It's the rhythm of the dialogue. He needs to say this kind of thing and that, and it needs to sort of make sense, but it's really about the rhythm of the scene and what it's accomplishing yes. above and beyond the technicalities. Yeah.
1: How was it? You, you were in Prague,
0: were you in Prague? Uh, not for the shoot but I went to Prague uh, for the initial scout.
1: I mean, so what was your sense was, how much of our crew from Scotland went to
0: Prague? Not many, I mean the, the key department heads went and I think each department sent a few key players, you right. know, hair and makeup and people from art department, people from costume and then there were a lot of local hires in Prague because there's a, a fairly substantial film community in Prague so a lot of people we could hire on the spot, and all the extras were obviously hired on the spot, and dressers and people, you know, for a set deck. But we had our people sort of going there ahead of time to sort of set everything up, and then to be there on the day of, of filming as well. Right.
1: And did you have? Do you have a sense of how the um, Prague crew and like extras and stuff compared to Scotland? Not in a negative way, but was it? Were the things that were different about dealing with that?
0: No, I didn't hear much of that. It seemed like they were familiar enough within the the EU they all kind of work together a lot and there's a lot of uh, productions moving back and forth so I think everyone was kind of familiar with the conventions of filmmaking in in Europe and so I don't think there was that big of a cultural change. I think it was less dramatic than uh, those of us coming from the US going to England and realizing oh wait there's different terminology and different customs and different things. I think within the European film community they were all kind of on the same page this is actually a redress of the courtyard um, set at the, uh, the Paris apartment so this is supposed to be an outdoor market outside of master Raymond's but this is actually a redress of our courtyard back on the sound stages in, in Cumbernauld so Claire and Jamie's apartment is upstairs on the, the second floor of this of this set uh, the, the man who plays
1: uh, Raymond Dominique he known, is that correct? Yes. He's quite a, um, an accomplished French actor. And very he's very so. well known in France. Yeah. And we have our lovely Stanley Weber. oh uh, yes. The Comte, he's fabulous. Now, he speaks, you were talking about French. I think what we decided was, because of who he is, the Comte always speaks French. Yes. Yeah. There's a point at which he's told, you speak English. But I don't think, we. I think that's the only time. I think it's the only time um, because we felt like he so dislikes Claire and Jamie, it was sort of a part of his disdain for them that he yeah. wouldn't, he, he could speak English, but he wasn't, he to wasn't going to. He wasn't going to.
0: There was a whole beginning to this yeah. to this scene that got cut. I think it was cut for time. And as we were going through trying to get to the show to time, I found a place to cut in much deeper with her just saying that line and having him up on the ladder. But there was a whole intro yeah. that they walked yeah. in and, and chatted, as I recall.
1: Yep. Again, this is one of those places where we got the, our technical advisor, our herbalist, uh, helped us out with what specifically they would be talking about.
0: And this whole thing with the bitter cascars is, is drawn pretty much directly yeah. from the book, as I recall. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, and I forgot to mention we're drinking, or I'm drinking, uh, square one vodka today. Oh, is that what you're drinking? That's what okay. I'm drinking? Yes. Instead of the Scotch whiskey. Mm-hmm. And the smoking lamp is out. <laughs>
1: I love her cloak here. It makes me think of the one from a French oh, lieutenant's woman. She puts that cloak oh, yeah. over her head. Uh, it's fabulous. Yeah, it's a great cloak. Happens to all these costumes? Um, we won't go back to France. She didn't bring them back with her. What, what do we do with all of these?
0: Uh, they'll be kept and stored, and you know, some will go on display. Some will become part of the Sony archive, like the key ones, like you know, the big red dress. Mm-hmm. The, the red dress from Versailles will be one of those iconic costumes that mm-hmm. they'll save mm-hmm. and show forever. Some of these might be repurposed. You know, Terry's talked about, especially the extras costumes from Paris and the day players costumes from Paris, okay. can be repurposed and read taken apart, put back together for America, when the show gets to America, because essentially the colonies were using the same kind of clothing, Uh, and the principal characters I think kind of varies from costume to costume, I don't know, you know, like this particular one is a good question, would that be saved, is that just going to end up taken apart and becoming something else, or I don't know. And do they, do
1: they, do you know if they, you know, like when the show ends, um, would these, then would Sony like rent them out to people? or They, they probably
0: don't. I don't know that they rent them out. They might sell some of them because yeah. now it's become more of a thing in, in film and TV that there's money to be made in auctioning off props and wardrobe. Oh, so I wouldn't be surprised at all at yeah. the end of the show that some of these costumes are, are eventually auctioned auctioned off to private collectors. Mm-hmm. And people make an argument about, oh, that's terrible. The studios should keep all that. They should be kept in archives. And Where were they but keep the, it? Yeah, and the truth is the studios don't take care of this kind of stuff. Yeah. They, they get thrown into warehouses, and they get moth-eaten, or rats take over. Yeah. And actually, uh, costumes and props in private hands are probably much more cared for and looked yeah. after and, and preserved. This is also in, in uh, Prague, uh, the, the, the exterior of, uh, of the hospital is a, a street in Prague. We did surprisingly little VFX work here. There's just some stuff to sort of take out some 20th century, 21st century or 20th century antennas and gutters and that sort of thing. And we sort of dirtied up the buildings to make them look a little bit more uh, worn because they were kind of clean when you, when you shot them originally. This whole
1: thing at the L'Hôpital des Anges, I've just exhausted my friends. Yes. <laughs> um I love this in the book, and it was really fun to, yeah, um, to be able to do this. And the woman that we cast, Frances de la Tour, for uh, Mother Hildegard. And we saw a lot of really good actresses, yeah. people that you've seen before, and she's just terrific. She's
0: wonderful. Now, the interior of the hospital is actually in Scotland. This is a cathedral uh, that Gary Steele found. I can't remember the name of this. I, this I is believe a, it's Glasgow Cathedral. Is it Glasgow right? Cathedral? Oh. that's And then we came in and brought in all the set dressing and the the props and and so forth.
1: This is one of those things, too, where, uh, you know, when you're writing, um, you know, I'm obviously picturing in my head between the book, which is described things, and then you're picturing it. And then, uh, because this scene was also longer. Remember, it went on a lot longer where you see her going behind Sister Angelique and cleaning out bedpans and all that kind of stuff. And then you realize when you start to see it, that so much of that, you get it without having all of that information. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Visually, it tells you so much. Even though I've been doing this for a long time and it's a visual medium, I still find myself sometimes, you can kind of really rely too much on the words or you feel like I've got to put too much in here. Um, Because again, I think you get all the value that we wanted, but it's
0: in a little more condensed form. Yeah, that's true. It's always it's, it's a continual learning experience. Yeah. You think you need to explain things, you think you need to talk about it, and then you see the film, and you go, no, I don't. Yeah, really don't. It's, it's
1: amazing. And, I, and you think after doing this, I mean, I've been doing this for 20-plus years, you yeah, you'd think, oh, boy, next script, I'm not putting... There's no fat in that yeah.
0: script. <laughs> no, you're just always writing too much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was that section, that cut right there. There was an extended walk and talk with... Claire following behind uh, Sister Angelique. And
1: right. We come right into this, but now we go, yeah.
0: This was a difficult piece of editing, actually, in that the eyelines didn't match up. Where Claire was looking off camera there, she was not actually looking at Mother Hildegard in, in that shot. We stole that from an earlier scene, but we wanted... Because I think what Claire was looking at, she was looking at another patient uh, being tended to by another person, but it was confusing in the way it, it kind of cut together, so we... we had to manufacture that that look from Claire to Hildegard. But is this piece drawn for the book? Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I can't. I, I, every time she puts her finger in this and tastes <laughs> it, it kind of like <laughs> I Ew. flinch every time.
1: <laughs> I just say to myself,
0: "You're in a sterile. You're in a sterile." Uh, yeah, it's like yeah, it's very guess, weird.
1: Yeah, but that's right out of the book, though. This is funny, too, because I remember, and I probably put it in a script that she steps aside, but I but I remember thinking, God, I hope they have her speak quietly to Mother Hildegard when she basically says, oh, yeah. this woman is not going to survive. Right. And they, they did it beautifully, but it, but there was a moment where I'm thinking, gosh, I hope she just doesn't say it out loud in front of this. Oh, yeah, she's lady. done. Yeah, woo, moving on.
0: Why are you wasting the bed space on this one? <laughs>
1: Bhutan. Oh, Bhutan, Bhutan, yes. who is so cute. And Bhutan
0: has his own fan club.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. We did see, I, uh, Tony was there, I know that they, we saw a number of dogs before we settled on this
0: one. The dog casting process. Yes, yes. Did they all look the same? Were there a no, variety all of dogs? they different. Really? There
1: were a variety of dogs. I mean, they were all small, but, um, uh, and I don't remember this dog's uh, actual name. Here we are, back at Maison Élise. Back at the Parable. This is our first glimpse of Fergus. Right.
0: Trying uh, we I remember we worked a lot on the politics of all this, trying to figure out exactly how this was all working. You know, what what did Charlie need? What did Duvernay think he needed? What was Jamie's sort of you know? Mo- actual motive of how he was going to undermine the Jacobite cause by putting these two together. So it's like all these different layers, and it was wildly confusing. It took forever to yes. try to like make sense of it. Again, because in the book, um, this whole section is told from Claire's point of view. And so Jamie would come back from these meetings and kind of tell her, Basically, certain things that had happened, right. and then Claire would just kind of tell us. And then months went by, and this and that happened. So right. we didn't really have a strong guide to go by when we were going to open the show up and play these actual scenes with Renee yeah. and Jamie and, and the prince. And we had to sort of construct a lot of the sequences and a lot of the plots sort of out of whole cloth. And it just became... It was very complicated.
1: Right, and looking at what actual history had happened yeah. and how we incorporate that... Um, yeah, and this was important because now we find out that he's got these uh, investors that Jamie doesn't know about, right? Which will play as we go forward. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, political intrigue stuff that we were going on about.
0: It, it's one of the reasons why I just went through a lot of like working it over and over again yeah. to try and make it clear, to make it understandable. And then it was also this is a you know one of those cases where you're working on shows later, you're working on episodes four and five. Yes. and things about to happen in the story with Charlie and wine and you know Jamie and S- Sandringham and all this other kind of stuff and then as you fix those problems you realize well we haven't set that up properly back in yes. 203 so that you had to go back and rewrite those sections to line up shows that you were like working it just
1: yeah it was it was a little bit of a brain cramp a lot of this and also, you know, enough information so that people can follow it, but not overwhelming. Yeah. Because then it, you know, because a lot of times we had these big speeches and yeah. just kind of, what can we take out of here that we don't need? Because it just gets boring.
0: Because you have to sort of give the audience a history lesson without giving yes. them a history lesson. Yes. You know, it's like they have to kind of get some basic concepts here. Who Who's on what side? Oh, the British and the French. We know they don't kind of like each other, so how does this work? And, were the Jacobites and why would the French support them and under what circumstances and oh they're fighting somewhere else in Europe but not full on war because they're still kind of talking to each other so it's very like f- yep. very dicey stuff and to make it a scene you know you're trying to make it a scene not just explain yeah. the, the politics of the era. Yeah,
1: yeah and the whole idea that, that Prince Charles is in France but he can't be acknowledged by the king directly because that was a big political yeah. faux pas yeah. because he wasn't really supposed to be, oh, man, it was, yeah, there was a lot of stuff. And, and a lot of times, again, thank God for good actors because they
0: seem to understand
1: what they're talking about.
0: Yeah, they seem to believe it. <laughs> and
1: yeah, and you, even if you can't quite follow it, you can follow their reactions. So when Charles says something and Jamie's like, look, shocked, you go, oh, okay, that's shocking information, yeah. even if yeah, I didn't that's quite understand it. Yeah, I mean, hopefully people understood it, but, yeah.
0: I believe this exterior, if I'm not mistaken, of Madame Elise's is actually in Scotland. It's yeah. one of the few exteriors that we used in Scotland for Paris. Yeah. Now this whole section of Jamie coming home, Claire's not there, and then him later being him being annoyed. We had to rework this a bit. In the first cut, you followed Claire into the hospital and came home with Claire to discover Jamie that was really annoyed and, and uh, unpleasant to her because of what she had been doing. And you kind of felt like Jamie was a jerk. Like, you really had no sympathy for him, and you didn't understand why he was acting the way he was. So then we, this is, all, you know, as we watched it, then we said, all right, Let's go back, let's now shoot this sequence here of watching Jamie you know, wait hours going by and getting more and more frustrated because he has something he has to talk with Claire about. Let's be, let's be emotionally with Jamie so that by the time Claire comes home, we the audience have also had to wait and wait and wait. And we know he's upset and we know he's stressed out about something so that when he does unload on her, we at least understand, we have more sympathy right. for him. I mean, because this was kind of a difficult area the the book to translate, was this whole sort of fight between him and her about her working in the hospital.
1: Right, right. And we, uh, in the book, it's more 18th century man, 20th century woman a little bit. And and I think because we're more in Jamie's head in our story, we wanted to also discuss how he's feeling about all this, how he's feeling about what he's doing and, and how this is happening. So that's, yeah, we were putting all that in here. This is also another place where we had to drop in this piece of information that Mother Hildegard is a musical prodigy.
0: Oh, right. Because
1: yeah. we needed that piece of information. In the book, yeah. You know, she spends time with her. She goes and sees her play the piano, <coughs> blah, blah, blah. We couldn't do that.
0: I love her look there. Mm-hmm. Just that little look she gives him. Like, oh, come on.
1: And, this, and the niece or something of the Sun King, because we had to have that relationship. Oh right, also. right. This is one of the things I love about the character of Claire too. Is that yeah, uh, she saw me taste the urine, and I got to Lance boil and yeah. she's so you know, <laughs> yeah, she's not grossed out by any of it. She's so enthusiastic yeah, about it. All. Yeah.
0: This was all tricky stuff trying to figure out this part of the relationship between the two of them to have a legitimate fight to have an emotional arc to say to understand how these two could come apart at this point come back together later in subsequent episodes and how that was all going to play together it was very difficult I found it was very hard to like work it through I remember we had a lot of internal discussions I remember we had extending conversations with the actors and yeah. how this was going to work as they had concerns about okay the fight and what is it really about and you know where do they end up as, as people and how do they move forward with the plot mm-hmm. it was just it was one of those things that we just had to work over and over and over again it hasn't
1: changed well and one of the virtues and challenges of all these stories after the first book is they're together now <coughs> they're a couple so there is conflict between them yeah. but you, you can't always have, well, I'm walking out, or I'm not going to be here, no. and, because that's false. It's like, you don't believe it, and, and one of the beauties of the books is these two are, are a team, and yet you need some conflict dramatically, otherwise it gets a little boring. Yeah. So it's interesting. There's nothing to play. And I think we talk a lot in the room because most of us are married. About you know, well, if you know, if I did this or if my yeah, husband I know. Or my I a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, which is it's helpful though because I think most of us are in committed relationships. So it's like, how does that work? That you you're your own person and you have your feelings, but you're not gonna blow it up. Do you know what I mean? Yep.
0: It's it was also important to give Claire this sort of, you know, this realization that what her life really would be in 18th century Paris, yeah. you know. What was the role of a woman, of a wife, you know, in this place and time? And how does Claire get herself into that place, even though she's doing it for a mission, even though she's doing it for this enormous greater good that they're trying to accomplish, how does she reconcile that with who she is as a person? Because mm-hmm. I've always said that you know, if Claire had not gone through the stones, if she had never had this experience, I think she was going to be pretty unhappy back in the 20th century yeah. as women were sort of then expected to return to a very domestic you know, life and go back to being housewives and get out of the workforce. And Claire had, had this extraordinary experience in World War II, and she wasn't going to yeah. do that so easily. Yeah.
1: I think that's something that's always interesting to me too when we talk in the room because <coughs> we have to remind ourselves when we say, "Well, she's in the twentieth century." It's like, "Yeah, but she's from the 40s. She's from the forties. Yeah. Yeah. She's not from twenty fifteen, and even as the books go forward, even the sixties, it's better certainly. And uh, in fact, I would almost argue that the gap between the forties and the sixties is almost bigger than the gap between the eighteenth century and the forties. Do you oh, know interesting in terms really? of, well, women women's roles, what you were expected and not expected to do? Yeah, I think I think um,
0: oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah.
1: So, so, again, we have to remind ourselves that she, she was, and she was kind of bucking the system, as you say, even in the 40s.
0: A lot of conversation about when they were having sex, and when they were not having sex in Paris, and trying to weave that into the story, but not make it the dominant theme of the story. Didn't want, we didn't want the show to be all about when they're going to have sex again. Yes. This is an odd little <laughs> avant garde piece. I came up with this little notion of we at, like this idea that at Badham and Elise's, they had this little stage, and Gary built us a little stage that they would do performances and odd little performance art-type pieces for this crowd, this very sophisticated crowd crowd in Paris, and we were looking for something to play here, and I just had this idea about painting a woman, you know, painting the front of a woman on her back and the back of a woman on her front. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that meant or why I liked it, (laughs) but I just sort of, and then you say that to the production team, and they all kind of look at you like, so you want us to do what? How's that gonna work? Like paint her front on her back, what?
1: I'm sure there were many discussions about what does that say about Ron? Yeah, what does that uh, say? What does that that say about life? Do we really want to know? We introduced Fergus, and there you go. There you go. (laughs) In a very different way than he is introduced in the book, because in the book Oh, right. Jamie's being followed by guys from the dock. I mean, we just right. had to simplify things. I forgot about that. And he's, um, they go after him. And remember, there's the whole thing where he has the big sausage? The sausage
0: fight. And yeah. then
1: um, Fergus helps him get away from those guys. Fergus is still a child of the whorehouse. Of the whorehouse, right. But um, yeah, he helps him get away from those guys. And, and again, sometimes we just had to simplify things because we just can't get it all in. So we went at it this
0: way. Yeah, just like get to it. He's a thief. Jamie figures it out. He wants to hire him. Right. Now, where was
1: this chase? Was I think this, this
0: is in Scotland. I believe this is a. Uh, I think this is near Sandringham's house, as I recall. The Sandringham's house from season one. Okay. Yeah, this is like a back alley section but that they were able to kind of cobble together. So, you, I mean, you can't really tell that it's Paris or, or Scotland. It just kind of feels generically 18th century.
1: Yeah. And we cast um, our, our Ferguses. He is French. Um, right we did yep. several young men um, and they' had to be able to speak English as well the casting process this season was challenging as well
0: yeah because you had to like go looking in in, in France for, yeah. for actors yeah Andy's a kid so there's various work requirements for his kid how many hours you can be on the set so it just becomes wildly complicated
1: and it's also you get into that weird area too which will happen again have read books know where we're going with Fergus, I won't say, but there are things that you also, you can do in a book, because it isn't a real life person that you're having to say, oh, this is what happens to you, or we're going to show this, I mean, again, I've been on other shows too, where, you know, um, some child witnesses a horrific murder, Mm -hmm. and when you're shooting it, you've got a child there, so you're often shooting it in such a way that you shoot the kids' reactions and tell them something really scary is going on take them out of the scene, and then you shoot them, so that you're not traumatizing yeah. some child. Yeah. So yeah, that's it's interesting when you work with kids. And, I want to and there's Sonny. And there's Sonny.
0: Sonny's OK. <laughs> Sonny's going to be like R2-D2. He's going <laughs> go through the entire series. as like one of the only witnesses.
1: We do laugh that we we. Jamie has so much stuff in his spore, and it's like Mary Poppins. It is like Mary Poppins. Poppins' He just keeps pulling things out of there. I want a bed like that. I know. It's very cozy.
0: the bedroom and the dining room are the same set that just get redressed. So she left one, she left oh, really? the room, wow. walked back into the same room basically on a different day.
1: Yeah, it's so the magic of the movie's. Yeah. Oh, I know what I'm curious about. When we do scenes like this, mm-hmm. all the candlelight, how much other light is in this room?
0: Uh, there is other light. There's uh, There are lights in the, in the ceiling that you can't see, and then there's some lights from off camera that sort of are enhancing the candlelight. Uh, the candles actually surpri- surprisingly provide more illumination than you would think so when you light that many candles in this room it does actually light it up but the the DP does uh, enhance and augment it so that there's a sense of shadow and you know getting light on on the actors' faces and so on so it's not quite the full kit that you would have if it was a modern show where you're replicating you know fluorescence and uh, lamps and so on. So everything's a little bit softer and has to have a certain flicker kind of mm-hmm. soft feel to it. Uh, but it, yeah. It, and it those was, are real candles. Those that's are real fire. Candles.
1: That's not,
0: so yeah, that we makes. had a whole conversation at the show at the outset uh, before we started about candles and could we get away with artificial candles because they, they've made some candles now that actually, uh, some artificial candles that are little bulbs that are LEDs that do have a flicker in them mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. replicate it. But you kind of smoke it out quickly on camera. We right. actually did a couple of camera tests. Even in a background shot like this This angle where you see the candle in deep background behind mm-hmm. Claire against the wall right there on the sconce. Yes. Now, you don't really see any flicker in that and you think that you probably could get away with LEDs right. on those candles. And you might, but you you, you kind of, see there's a little bit of movement. If yeah. you look closely, you kind of see that it moves back and forth just a little bit. And if the camera were to follow Claire out that door, right. you would quickly realize that those were fake. Right. So we just ended up, we have literally thousands of candles in our, yeah. our prop warehouse.
1: And sometimes when we go on location, it's a problem because the locations won't let us use candles. Yeah, some locations
0: won't let, let you have any open flame yeah. on, the, on some of these historic buildings, and that's another problem. This didn't come off quite as well and clear as I was hoping. We, we kind of told her, I kind of told myself, this is one of those things where when we broke it in the room, you were supposed to see the whole thing. He follows the guy, right. he takes the, the letter out of the guy's bag, you know, the guy's drinking and then you follow him out and give it to Murta. Then through the production process, someone said, well, do we have to go into the shop because we don't have that location. Can't we just see the messenger go in and Fergus follow him? Right. And then Fergus come out with the letter, and right. we'll just assume he stole it. And at the time, you go, okay, I get it, yeah, that that should work. And then you watch it, and you're like, oh, shit, actually.
1: Yeah. It would have been better to see it him take it. It would have been better to see him take it. Yeah. Well, many think is another solution then that he, he had him sit outside the messenger, and then he could take it. I mean, yeah, but yeah. In, in the moment, the, you know can't say yes to everything so. yeah
0: you're trying to you're always judging sort of what do you what do you think is vital what do you have to have versus what would be nice to have yeah because production is constantly coming to you and saying is there a way we cannot do this set? Is there a way we cannot do this scene because we're really over and everyone's tired and we don't really have this set and it'll cost all this money and push push you into another day and so you're constantly sort of Writing that line, well, I think this is just something that we would like. Yeah, let's cut this part.
1: Well, and then as you get farther into production, too, you know, everything rolls downhill. It's like, well, we can't, we don't have time to shoot this scene in this block, so we'll push it to the next. Yeah. And pretty soon. That also happens. Things start to just drop off. In a way, you sort of dread having one push because now you know, oh man, that one, that one could very easily go away. Yeah,
0: because later they'll say, do we really still have to shoot yeah. this scene in this block? Or? Yeah.
1: yeah all this stuff is the book stuff with the music and the notes and yeah trying to kind of decipher that and make it uh, play was sort of a challenge also
0: yeah because there was a lot more of this mm-hmm. even in the book and more of it even in the first drafts of the script and all the letters and the correspondence and what they were yeah. saying and Then they were hiding what they were saying, and some of the letters were in code and some were not. Yeah,
1: and there was a whole scene with Claire,
0: actually, right, where Jamie and Claire at one point
1: were working on it together and they were talking about trusting people and... um,
0: Yeah, trying to still work this all into their personal story and where they were in the relationship. Yeah.
1: Again, this was one of those things that you go, oh, yeah, Murtaugh's at the hospital. He could know this. Yeah. That's, I mean, sometimes that happens yeah. too, as you're constructing things, and then you look at the stuff on the table and you think, oh, wait, that will help us. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, and I think this whole little thing with Bhutan here is right for the book. Yeah. Right? This yeah. is one of those moments. One of those scenes in the book you know you've got to have in the show somewhere because yep. everyone remembers it. And, oh, remember Bhutan? Everyone's like, you've got to do the Bhutan thing. And they was just trying to figure out, where do we do the Bhutan yep. thing? It's got to be here someplace. No, you right. it I wasn't there when they were shooting yeah. this, but I can imagine that this was like a nightmare, trying to get the dog... <laughs> because he's gotta like walk on the guy, he's gotta sniff at a certain place, he's gotta lie down, he's gonna bark. I'm sure this was a nightmare. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And now some gross stuff. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, more gross stuff. Yeah, some more gross stuff.
1: this Katrina, is she, I've never noted, known her to be any kind of squeamish about any of
0: this stuff. I don't think she, she is. I don't yeah. think she has any problems with it.
1: Yeah, and even when we have like, you know, you know, like the cooked rabbits and oh, that yeah. kind of stuff. Well,
0: well, day one on the whole show was her in that field hospital World War Two with open wounds and blood spurting yeah. everywhere, you know, raw just really nasty stuff. So I think she got over it really quickly. Yeah.
1: Sometimes this stuff is tricky too because when she's doing something, like obviously she can't do this on the guy's you know legs so how the makeup works whether it's actually on his leg and it's something that she's working on on top of his skin or whether it's an actual prosthetic and we're just not seeing the yeah.
0: the rest of it some of his shot later like some of those those insert shots of the of the wound itself were definitely done like weeks after the fact and not even Katrina's hands like somebody else's hands
1: oh wow despite all this sometimes when you jimmy rate with stuff over and over in the end it doesn't quite hang together and Mm -hmm. I think we ultimately this was good his arc of kind of being upset with her and then coming
0: and yeah making the gesture yeah
1: and so it's kind of his way of saying I'm okay with this yeah uh, which was nice I can assure you if my husband is asking and it's for a good reason this was one of those things from the book too that was fun this little uh you know, again, Diana does these these moments of like, you know, um, Claire knows things like you're gonna see what you'll see is that it's it's my my friend my German friend oh my German friend, friend. Johann Sebastian Bach but he'll never be anything yeah. that stuff's funny.
0: It's like she does it so infrequently in the books. When she does do it, you kind of you get kind of a thrill yep. out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because she doesn't hit the time travel stuff too hard. No. And this was not this is a complicated and interesting idea of a code that is about the key and how many times switching the key was the key to decrypting yeah. the whole thing. It's like a wild idea and I hope I hope it comes across to people that haven't read the book. Yes. Now
1: and again he calls them inventions and they are really quite
0: clever. But I'm afraid his music is not to endure. It's nice about the way Diana does this is that that's a moment where we feel superior to her yes right? we and Claire feel superior because we know something that she doesn't yeah. and she does that so little in the books there's not that many times where Claire is really looking at these people with superiority She yes. mostly empathizes with them and adapts and, and a lot of times she's impressed and trying to to catch up with what these people are doing yes yeah. it's not a lot of distance to sort of look down at them from a you know a future perspective
1: well, I always think that's one of the sort of genius things about having Claire having grown up with an anthropologist and, you know, she lives rough, so she does, this stuff doesn't throw her. And yeah, she would have an appreciation of different cultures and that kind of stuff, which is cool. There's another amazing dress. Oh, my God, I love that blue and orange thing. That's fabulous. Is Terry like a, a, uh, what would I say, not flamboyant dresser, but does she like to wear kind of costumey stuff? Whenever I've seen her, she's working, so she's usually in very practical clothes.
0: No, she likes, she kind of, she's of that sort of, I like to wear black every day because it makes one fewer decision I have to have. Ah, that's interesting like a lot, of, and a lot of costume designers are, are like that, they, yeah. they, and fashion designers, they, you know, like Michael Kors does the same That's thing, true. just, I wear basic black every day, because yeah. I don't want to think about it, and then they project all that out into, yeah. out into the world. it's
1: really interesting. She was always
0: dressing the kids up. Oh, really? She was always, as the kids were growing up, she would make Outfits for them and costumes for them. Oh, Halloween was like Halloween an old was a whole thing in our spectacular. house. Oh, f- Halloween was amazing. Ah. It was ah. these amazing costumes she would construct the for the kids.
1: Face to face to wow, that would be great. I mean, it's just nice.
0: And on Battlestar, she, uh, she talked to Gwen Campbell, who was our she costume designer on, on Battlestar, and they made flight suits for, for the kids. Ah. Like two little flight suits for for each of them. They wore them to Comic Con one year, <laughs> <laughs> and they were tickled. But they were so young. They also were sort of like, "These are kind of hot." Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, also
1: they grew up with it, so and it's they kind of like, grew up with it. Yeah, it's, it's like, oh, do yeah, this? yeah, yes. a
0: flight suit. Everyone yeah. has a flight suit. Yeah.
1: Was there any costume other than that that you can think of that she made for the kids? Oh, she life? made
0: like an amazing magician's costume once for, and a white queen. Kind of uh, a Snow Queen kind of outfit one year. Um, It was an alien costume for him she did once, makeup and the whole the whole thing. Uh,
1: Were you guys the the parents who went with the kids and were in costume as well?
0: No, we never did. We never did the costumes ourselves. I was always a little disappointed in that, but she was like, Terry had a hard line on Halloween. She's like, you can't, no adults dress up on Halloween. Uh, Like really. no, it's a kid's holiday, only the kids. That's hilarious. So you didn't get your flight suit. I did not get my flight <laughs>
1: suit. You do have a kilt, though. So I, I do have
0: a kilt. Yeah. I have several kilts. So. Yeah, I think it is nice that the show, that this episode does get back to this, this personal thing at the end. But it does feel like we knitted this all together mm-hmm. thematically in a successful way through, through all the drama on screen and off
1: yeah and this is great too because of course she's standing there holding this secret and he's saying you know yeah. you're so wonderful
0: and we're in this together and it helps a lot the murtahs on in the know yep yeah. the three actors are in such sync and mm-hmm. such good in the, in the rhythm and they know where each other, or other is and they play well off each other. And
1: it's always, you know, again, you're looking for the end of these episodes to make people <coughs> kind of lean in like, oh no, what's going to happen?
0: Yeah, what's going to happen yeah. next?
1: Yeah.
0: Well, there you have it. That's 203. Thank you, Anne.
1: Thank you, Ron. It was a
0: pleasure. Yes. And uh, folks, we will talk to you again on episode uh, 204. Until then, uh, good night and good luck. <laughs>